Now you might be one of those people that turns to uh, sweets or alcohol or cigarettes or something like that when times of stress happen. Now you might think that you don't have a lot of willpower. Uh, maybe you shouldn't be relying on your willpower. Maybe you should be relying more on your brain power. My next guest is an expert in brain resilience or certainly has been looking into this. Her name is Professor Selena Bartlett. She's a neuroscientist and author, and she's arrived in Adelaide for a very special talk and conference. Thanks for your time. Thank you so much for having me and for the Australian Neuroscience Society too. Thank you. Professor, this is fascinating though, isn't it? Because it's it starts saying that it's not about us failing all the time in leading to what are either repetitive bad behaviours or addictive behaviours. No, um, really interestingly, I've been studying the brain for 30 years um, around the world yeah. and I was studying alcohol effect on the brain and then we accidentally discovered sugars as addictive as alcohol and nicotine. And then I came after all of this work on, upon the work of Andrew and Filetti that demonstrates that we actually come into this world pre-wired and that's from millions of years of evolution, but also multiple generations of stress. Mm. And we now have evidence um, how that wires the brain. So are you saying multiple generations yes. of stress uh -huh. mm -hmm. mean that you are more likely to go Absolute, through that than just your own level of totally, stress? Totally. Absolutely. And this work's been done over 25 years. It's called the Adverse Childhood Experiences Study by Andrew and Filetti and uh, replicate around the world and that's why I came out of my lab because I thought people should understand this like because I'd been studying the brain trying to understand because my sister had a mental illness I didn't like how she was treated so I've been studying the brain traveling the world trying to understand it and then when I came upon this upon this work everything it was like a light bulb goes off in your head and I'm like oh my goodness I've been developing medications for medication. So people are using alcohol and sugar and all sorts of other things to medicate and make themselves feel better in the short term for stuff that they don't understand has come in over a long period of time. We kind of know what happened in our own lifetime, but we don't understand that we have pretty strong evidence now that we, we come in pre-wired also. And what does that mean? Does that mean it's part of our genes? It's part genetic so, makeup? So we what? definitely have a genetic blueprint, but, but you, the way let's talk about your brain in development in utero it's experiencing different things either what the mother's eating or the fat we actually have now evidence that the father um, the sperm can be affected by what the father's eating and that can affect um, diet induced obesity for three subsequent generations and it's coming through something they call non-coding RNAs or micro-RNAs so it's not just genes and epigenetics but it's also these other things we're discovering too so we're in a massive revolution of understanding and technology is driving that too and I just came out of my lab to teach people a little bit about this knowledge because I think knowledge raises all boats and becoming aware of how much sugar or alcohol you're even taking um, is the first step. And just knowing that the brain's incredibly powerful and, it, and you actually have power over it more than... And if you don't take charge of your brain, the brain takes charge because it's there to keep you alive. And so that's why on a big bad day at work or something, why we go straight for the chocolate or the 
like for me particularly before I understood all of this I'd go for a glass of wine it'd become two glasses of wine I cook dinner get the kids in the bath next minute I've had half a bottle of wine mm. and that was making me feel good in the short term for example professor let I think we need to understand this a bit more uh, go back before we talk about this I mean are you saying that addiction is not what we thought it was that's yes I am in some sense I think it's there's a lot of things we don't know, but there's some things for sure we do know. Um, this study and multiple studies have demonstrated the higher the number of adverse childhood experiences you've experienced, the greater chances of you becoming susceptible to alcoholism, drug addiction, anxiety, depression, obesity, are just some of those things. And as you know, I'm a neuroscientist interested in mental health disorders and trying to improve outcomes for people. And when you understand that, my, I had to retool my research lab because it's like, well, if we don't understand, if we don't change the underlying cause, we're always going to be struggling with trying to solve the problem. So mm. if we're just tackling the alcohol or the sugar or the gambling, then we're only just treating symptoms, in my view. And so I'm really interested in trying to drive big change, and uh, and that's why I want to give these lectures, public lectures for free. It's why I want to write books, I've got a podcast, etc., to help people understand that it's not, you can't really blame anyone. Um, the only thing you can really do is apply neuroplasticity and make the changes going forward. Well, we're going to get into how you can perhaps turn that around, but my, my, and I think a lot of people would be confused. I mean, if, when you're a child, you can't stop, you can't go back and say, well, those things didn't happen or, you know, you can't expunge those from your life that's exactly right so but what one thing you can do is change going forward okay so is that dealing with those things and putting them in their place or is it forgetting them ignoring it's, them what it's, is it it's a total holistic approach um and it's personalized because each person is so different and every brain's so wired differently and I can't give you one answer for every person. I don't believe in that. I believe in a non-dualistic approach where there's a middle way where we can wrap around latest in modern science with what we understand from ancient wisdom with other practices, including nutrition, exercise, sleep, water, the basis foundations of health into a package of a tapestry that mm. people understand they have control over this. But that, without understanding that, We'll always rely on our old habits and, and going back to the past and saying, well, this happened, so that's what I'm stuck with and my brain's not going to change because I can't teach my old dog new tricks. And I'm here to tell you that's not true. And I've done it for myself and I'm studying it in the lab at the molecular level. And I think fundamentally it's a, it's, it's, you can't call it a revolution because people have been doing this for 25 years, but in terms of how we get it to the public and help them uh, integrate it into their own daily life, it's, I like mm. to say it's simple, it's just not easy to implement because everyone has had very different life experiences mm. over many generations. You're listening to ABC Radio Adelaide. My guest is Professor Selena Bartlett. She's a neuroscientist and author and is encouraging us, urging us to tap into our brain power rather than our willpower to try to um, uh, deal with, I guess, everyday stresses, yes? Well, that's where it begins because one thing we don't... But people... What I, I think I have a hard time getting across is that we actually came... I can show you some circuits in our brain that are that look like they came from a mushroom or the roots of plants because the roots of plants, when they're taking up nutrition, have some similar similarities to what we have in our brain. 
So our whole job each day, you and I, as a human species, is just to survive. And so those circuits in the brain have been hardwired in over millions of years. So why is it so difficult to drive these daily changes? It's because we're actually changing evolution in a way and we're breaking the chain of past generations. And, and, and that's why, it's, why people can't do it for a long time. But I really believe heavily, like you knew that we, everyone used to smoke and we didn't think, and we thought smoking was fine, right? And what did it take for us to make the recognition that that had to change? I see this as the same thing. Who, who is told when they have a baby about adverse childhood experiences and how it affects brain development and leads to subsequent effects on mental health disorders later in life? And I think that's fundamental education. I think every parent would want to know about that. And once I learned about it, I, I could drive some change in my own family history too, but I just didn't know. And so neuroplasticity is this capacity of brain power. That's what it is. Yeah. So how much of it then is about changing the next generation, um, changing what happens to the next generation? How much is it about changing the here and now and what you've got? Here and now, today, um, like if you just stick your arms up in the air now, I just biohacked yeah. your brain. So I just it, it, like push it right up, shoulders back, take a deep breath. And do you feel a little bit stress, less stressed now? Yeah. So that's a very simple biohack, but why can't I get people to do that every day? Because we don't think like it has to be, it, we think of in complicated ways about the brain, we think it's rocket science. But I'm telling you, I just tapped into the emotional part of your brain that's been wired in for a long time. And then I gave you a really simple tool to actually help you feel a little bit calmer. Right? So that I might not need to reach for the Fredo frog or something. Exactly, yeah. by the end of the day. So we have to start from the minute we wake up in the morning because the brain takes in negative information because of its survival thing at 10x the rate of positive. Right, and so, so, so negative ideas get through to us much more than positive Because ones it do. keeps us alive and safe. It's so counterintuitive, I know. Um, but that's the, it's just the way the brain uh, has been wired and, and for survival it makes so much sense and that doesn't mean it's going to drive you to healthy habits though. No. Right? So that's the power of a human species to be able to do that. Now, when it comes, how do you know what to do? Um, you know, how would you know to do that? Lift your arms up and put your shoulders down well, as opposed to going for the job. How do we learn those things? Exactly. So that's why I wrote these books in simple mm. ways and I started a podcast so I could help people get this information. You, by interviewing me um, and your energy and my energy combined, will reach, I, I call it planting seeds. It's like, think about smoking. I think about smoking a lot and I think about other things and we have to plant seeds and then when people start to see the changes in themselves and then they start to see how it affects everyone around them and their family, we are actually helping you for your, to have a better life, but also through mirror neurons, which sit in the front part of your brain, people are gonna copy you. Mm. And then that has a subsequent effect on your children and their grandchildren, so you're making positive epigenetic changes forward, and it's just so powerful. And this information, um, it's just like everything, I see it as a public health message, and I see it as um, having to do better neuroscience to understand it. I see it as um, getting to healthcare professionals and just to the general public, because people are desperate to be, to be quite honest. And because we've never taught anyone how the brain works, mm. Yeah, at, a, at this practical well, do level. Do we know? 
we don't we only know small amounts about how the brain works don't we or we, not we have hundreds and thousands and millions of papers published uh, we we know quite a lot um, we, there's a lot we don't understand, but yeah. there's also a lot, a lot we, we do, do understand. And the pieces that we understand that, like I just gave to you, let's get it to the public. You know, let, let, let the public mm. understand that there is some power inside themselves to take back their um, capability of driving these changes. What's the difference between brain power and willpower? Because the way you're talking about that, like the wanting to make those changes, sounds like willpower as much as it does brain power yeah well so where why i call it brain power is because people have to understand that there are this is physical biochemical circuits in the brain and there's these there's billions of circuits and trillions of synapses but what you're doing is you're actually changing the physical structure of brain do you know what i mean when you think about willpower mm-hmm. you're right in one sense but at some at some level people think they have to have strong discipline um, and then they give up on that. But in terms of brain power, you're actually changing your brain in a positive direction. And I think pe- I want people to understand that this is inside their brain that's happening. It's not just some airy-fairy thing. It's actually physical and mm. chemical and biochemical structures that they're changing by making these positive changes inside them. So it's like, look at when people are working out in the gym, they, they're doing their bicep curls and they can see the change in their muscle, right? So they've got the physical thing. But in our brain, we can't see it. And that's the kind of difficulty. But now we have brain imaging technology where I think one day people are going to be able to see these changes too inside their skull. So do you think not being able to physically see it is a barrier to us continuing? It's it's been a big vacuum, totally. And it's been a big vacuum and um, people have stepped, because of all this suffering, because we come in pre-wired, because of all of this stuff we don't understand and we'll never understand, um, then there's been a lot of people fill that vacuum with a lot of things that and and that's because just we've never been able to show people their brain mm. in many ways or the knowledge or the educational neuroscience was it's really just growing and it's you know going to a new direction professor selena bartlett i've got a couple of texts that i'd love to throw their questions yeah. to you if you don't mind um you were talking about coming in pre-wired um one texter asks what about the stress of the mother when the child is in the womb what role does that play oh pay, that's massive that plays a huge role for sure there's no doubt about that so um i like to call it the mozart brain versus the trumpet brain so if you've got a mother coming in with a loving home and um, less stress then the way that brain's going to develop is going to look completely different to a mother that's addicted to drugs or a, or a poverty situation or disadvantage um, there's no doubt that those two brains are going to develop differently Another says, uh, this is from Laurie, what about Brandon Bays and her ideas read the journey? Now, I'm not familiar with that. Do you know anything about that? No? Um, I, I'd have to make a guess, but no, I don't know it okay. exactly. Nick says, does hypnotism help rewire the brain? Um, for some people, I think, uh, and I gave a, a co-joint talk with someone that is a that does hypnotism for smoking cessation and... Um, I don't really understand how it works, but the one thing I can tell you for sure is that just me talking to you, giving you lots of attention and understanding Mm. what's important to you has a massive effect for improving your brain health. And so not to dismiss hypnotism because I don't understand it, but what I do understand for mental health um, treatments, we do know that placebo has a 30% effect on most things. 
And I'm not saying it's a placebo, but I'm just saying that human interaction and connection has a huge impact on improving brain health. Okay. And so that, it might, might be more about the attention. As well. There's a lot of things and we don't, I mm. could, we can't really, and I could, I could, yeah, and yeah. I can't, I could say that for multiple things. Yeah. But I want to just tell the audience one thing. The Harvard grant study was done for over 80 years following men from Harvard. And what was the number one outcome of that study? What the healthiest, happiest living men were those that had the most highest quality connections. And we don't like to hear that because we're, it's a study, it was lots of money and it was followed for 80 years and people didn't like that outcome because they're hoping that it was where you lived, it's what you ate, how much exercise you do. But I think anyone that I'm speaking to now, and I hope I'm reaching you because um, that's my job, is that basically love and connection and attention if you're thinking about you're having children right now or you have children it's never too late but that unconditional love and attention either to a parent or a child or people you love has a massive impact on improving anyone's brain health which i guess suggests that the increase of loneliness in our society might correlate with the issues of anxiety and mental health would it not completely I could speak to this for hours, but obviously we can't. But there's no doubt in my mind, and I can I know from my own, even N equals one anecdote on myself, that loneliness in our Western society is driving many problems. And that's because we're social animals. That's been well described. And we need each other. And what we're doing is we're separating from each other, even within our families, um, and technology is wonderful at one le level, but on another level, it's also isolating mm -hmm. us. And then um, that's definitely going to be driving ch changes in the way the brain, I wanted to put it at the brain level, it, the way the brain is communicating with each other is in that part of the brain um, that does involve social interaction. So these are all brain body connections. There's strong neurobiology and neuroscience behind all of this. And, um, but if there's one biohack I can give you is someone said to me, if someone's depressed, what do you do? And I say just, and they don't want to do anything, right? They don't want to get out of bed. Then I just say, hold their hand mm. and then you'll get oxytocin and dopamine. It sounds really simple, but really you are actually helping to promote positive brain chemicals and just stay there. That's enough for now. And you'll be planting seeds for them to then might be just enough to tip them into this stage where they want to actually do something next. Uh, Mars on our text line says, I was adopted by my grandparents oh. because my parents were chronic alcoholics. Mm -hmm. I thought that it couldn't happen to me, but after a traumatic event in my life, it did. Now my offspring are suffering the same addiction to alcohol. So you're spot on. Yes. Yes. Yeah. But I, I can tell you exactly. <laughs> with those generations, there's three generations he's talking about there. But what four, I think. Um, and there could have been more back five centuries. Okay. So Muz might be in a position, or someone in his position might be in a position to say, this is just part of my makeup now. Of course. But you're saying that doesn't have to be the case. It doesn't have to be the case. What was his name again? Muz. Muz. It does not have to be the case at all. And I'm strongly here to urge you that no matter what age you have the capacity to understand that you can change and break the generation break the cycle it's not easy it's it's simple things but it's not easy but if you really want to do this I'm telling you you can but the the hardest part is actually wanting to do it because as if we rely on saying because sometimes we rely on well this just happened to me therefore 
Um, and I and I have complete compassion for that. I really understand it and I understand where it's coming from and I do understand being adopted has a very big effect on your brain health and I'm, I understand that, but I just want to let you know, but what do you want for your future and what do you want for your grandchildren's future? You have the capacity to make your grandchild's future better. And it's simple things and you, um, I, I guess I can't tell you all of them now, but basically just understand that uh, the brain has a massive capacity to change for something positive. Look at Jill Bolt Taylor's TED talk. She completely rewired her brain from a massive stroke. So if she can do that from a massive stroke, you can do this for alcohol addiction. Mm. Um, but the intention and the and the practices are simple. They're not easy. Um, another texter, Dave, says in the USA they are treating brain injuries with psilocybin which I think mm -hmm. is LSD, yeah. is that yeah. right? No, that's... Um, no, magic, from the magic, magic mushrooms, magic, yeah. that's right. What do you think? Uh, I love this question because I did a comedy stand-up in Oakland and um, I, was, I was making the conversation about how we're all taking psychedelics now to go back to our mushroom brain. Because <laughs> I'm not joking because we actually did... We actually have some of our circuits that came from them. Okay, so it works for some people. Um, you need to be under very guided therapy. It's not approved in Australia. It's only approved in a few places. It basically has been shown under guided therapy to help people with addictions, PTSD, etc. Um, but but and I understand that some people might need that. Um, but I really fundamentally still believe that with the right right wraparound support and counselling and uh, full farm stay residential facilities and things, you can actually do this without having to take another drug. But depends on you know your situation so I can't speak to you directly but I, I can tell you that um, there are a lot of people working on psychedelics in, in America right now but I want to put out this other side because I became a neuroscientist because my sister had schizophrenia some people will not understand that if they take those drugs magic mushrooms LSD and these others they will increase their susceptibility of developing schizophrenia and other psycho psychotic episodes can happen and you may not even know it um, and so I, that's one risk factor that I think is so great that people don't talk about in like Michael Pollan's book about because mm. he explored all oh, of I've that. I've read that book. It yeah, it's fascinating. One, he's a wonderful author and he, he did a great job but I, do th I did say this over my podcast and other things that I really get a little bit upset because we talk about all the side effects of pharmaceuticals but the side effects of um, psychedelics are really not discussed at height because they actually can be addictive they get addicted people get addicted to the experience of leaving yes. this world yes and then i know a lot of people that end up in hospital mm. and things but, like but that but one of the things he says which you off you are as well is that it shows that we only use a very small oh, part of our brain totally um and if anyone's interested I, david goggins is an amazing example he's got this amazing book and podcast called Can't Hurt Me. I highly recommend downloading it. Um, it's a great audio book. It's also an interview. He is an amazing example of someone that's come from extreme adversity with violence and drug abuse in his background. He completely changed himself through swimming and running and all of these things we talk about. And you should see what he looks like now. Mm. Um, 
We are talking, if you've just joined us, with Professor Selena Bartlett. She's a neuroscientist and author, and tonight she will be hosting a public lecture from 6 o'clock at the Adelaide Convention Centre. Um, so if you'd like to hear more it's of what... It's free too. And it's free. If you would like to be part of that, you can head along to the Adelaide Convention Centre. Um, just a couple of questions. Steve says, if you put your hand on a tree, you instantly feel lighter and calmer. Mm -hmm. He feels the stress is absorbed by the tree. I would add to that, because I well, what I feel is when you go out in the garden and touch dirt, there's something about that that changes the way you feel. He's asking, is that a thing? Yes, it is. And there's lot, there's even scientific evidence for forest bathing, for example. So people in Japan that go forest bathing... What's that, running naked through forests or something? <laughs> well, we, we could try that. <laughs> I think that'll be even better. What's forest bathing? Is that where you walk through a forest, um, old forest? It's the same idea. And because just touch the, trees? It, well, or also just walk because the trees are emanating a lot of oh. um, chemicals. And, and, yeah. they, and do you know that trees do talk to each other underneath the ground? And so uh, if you look at the chemical structures inside the roots of trees and, and even on the sides of trees and then the leaves mm. of trees, it looks so much like a brain. Mm. And so even if you look at the synaptic vesicles inside the roots, they actually have very similar chemicals that we use in the brain mm. for our, our communication. So there's, there's someone saying Dr. Carl did a podcast on the tree yeah. network underground yeah, yeah, talking yeah, yeah. to each other. And we'll look mm. at mushrooms, pull up a mushroom, pull yeah, it upside fungi, down. Fungi definitely do well, it, don't they? Well, they've shown, like, they, they will talk to each other across miles and they can create a meadow from a rainforest. And someone's demonstrated action potentials which is how our brain signals, right? We use action potentials, we use proteins and chemical signals. And doesn't it make sense? The mushrooms were alive, they outcompete the bacteria, even at the bacterial level. You know, bacteria, they mm. form biofilms, and that's why antibiotics have a hard time targeting them eventually. Those signaling molecules that they're using, we use some of those in the brain. So that's how old all of this stuff is, you know, inside. And why we're struggling so much with all this suffering and everything else is because that's how old it really is. So you can see why it's so, it's so hard to outcompete mm. this really hardwired part of the brain. Mm. Um, so in terms of the trees, um, there's no doubt in my mind... I, when I'm running in trails is completely different to running inside a gym in terms of how you feel. Yeah. Well, we could probably talk forever, and people are really enjoying what you have to say, but on that note, I'm going to have to leave it. If you would like to hear more of what Selena has to say, uh, she is speaking tonight at the Adelaide Convention Centre. Uh, this is a, a public lecture hosted by ANS, and it's between 6 and 7.30. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed it. Professor Selena Bartlett. It's coming up to 10 minutes to 3 here on ABC Radio Adelaide. Now, in a moment, we'll check the weather.